0: You're listening to a sermon from Tyler Christian Fellowship in Tyler, Texas. Find us on the web at tcftyler.com or send us an email, tcftyler at gmail.com.
1: stuff at home and let the Lord speak to your heart, because I know He wants to do that. Um, I'm continuing a series on um, knowing God's Father heart for you, and uh, this week is the second part of a a message on the fear of the Lord, and this one is going to be about uh, discipline. Um, The King James Version of the Bible says that, uh, the fear of the Lord is clean, and uh, the fear of the Lord, thats another translation for that is pure, and uh, it's, it's, it's like the, the purest thing that there is, it's fa- the Father heart of God toward us, and the purest thing is for us to reverence him and put him in his proper place. Um, sometimes people stumble over that concept of the fear of the Lord, um, but it's not, you're not fearing him because he has some evil intent toward you, you're fearing Him because He has authority in your life and uh, you reverence Him. And uh, so there are a lot of people that are walking around today that are kind of under a cloud. They kind of think that maybe God is mad at them and that He should be mad at them and they look at their hearts and they see all of the things that they feel like are wrong and they feel like that God uh, looks at that and is not pleased with them and is kind of out to get them. And uh, that's what I'm addressing in this series is that God is not out to get you. God loves you. Um, and he wants you to know that. And uh, there are some aspects of our relationship with God that I hope as you, you grew up in a healthy enough home to where you learned some of the benefits of godly authority in your home. Your dad and your mom uh, were in a position to uh, uh, control your life for a while until you could control yourself. Um, and also in a position to make things really difficult for you sometimes. But hopefully they were doing it in a way um, that had your best interest in mind and were instilling some things in you that you will, and maybe already are, uh, looking on with gratitude. So that's kind of where I am. I want to start. There's a pretty good passage that is explicitly about discipline uh, that's found in uh, Hebrews Chapter 12, verses 5 through 12, and uh, we'll read it, and then we'll come back and talk about it. Hebrews 12, 5 through 12 says, and, you, and have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline uh, seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees. So I want to talk about discipline this morning. How many of you feel like that you have experienced the discipline of the Lord? Good. Okay. So we're talking about a subject that we're aware of. Um, let me talk to, to begin with, talk about some things that are not necessarily the discipline of the Lord. Now, he uses anything at his disposal to discipline us. He, anything in our lives at, at one point or another, God can use it um, to discipline us. But there are some examples of suffering that we are experiencing that are not necessarily the discipline of the Lord. So I'll start with talking about the the condition that we live in, the earth, the world that we live in. This is a fallen world. This world is not the way that God originally created it. This is a world that we, whether we knew it or not, chose. When we chose to have our own way and we chose to turn our back on God, And we chose to do things the way that we wanted to do them instead of the way that he had instructed us um, to do it. God never promised us that we wouldn't suffer. He never promised us that. Even as believers, God does not promise us that we won't suffer. Suffering is part of life because we live in a broken world, in a fallen world. And listen, we're not immune to it. I went to a uh, seminar one time, a a worship seminar actually, and... uh, there was some real good things in the seminar, and then there was some really bad teaching uh, that was going around. This was quite a few years ago, although the teaching is still um, prevalent. Um, and this guy was talking about how in the end times uh, that God's people were going to stand out God's people were going to be the ones that are blessed. God's people are going to be the ones that are driving Cadillacs. And people will come up to us, and they will say, you know, why are you so blessed, and why are you driving Cadillacs? When everybody else is struggling so badly. man, that's bad doctrine. Yeah. If, if you want people to hate you, that's probably the right way to, to talk to them or to address them. And I haven't found it to be true. The most godly people that I know are not necessarily, some of them are driving Cadillacs. Many of them are not driving Cadillacs. Your value is not in your car, right? And, and the, the value that, that you experience in life with Jesus Christ is not going to be like um, signified by these outward things like that. The blessings of the Lord are, are completely um, in His care and in His keeping and in His way to us. And He loves you, and He will bless you. But He's not going to use the church as being immune to the suffering in the world to be a witness uh, for Jesus Christ. We're going to live in it. Bad things happen, and that's why we need Jesus. Another example of suffering that is not the discipline of the Lord necessarily is sin. As as, as we all know, there is a price to be paid for sin. The Bible says there's pleasure in sin for a season, but the end of it is destruction. And to the extent that I sin, to that extent I'm going to experience in big ways and little ways death in my life, in my relationships. And that's not necessarily the discipline of the Lord. That's just Bad choices and choosing the wrong things and doing things the wrong way and the consequences that come from sin. Now I will say this about that. God does is not obligated to um, break us out of jail early. We have to serve our time. Okay? There are many times that God has shown me great mercy, even in my in my failures. That I didn't get what I deserved. But he didn't. he's not obligated to do that. He's not obligated to clean up my messes that I make. But he is obligated to be with me in it. He is obligated. Even in my bad choices, if I wind up in jail, he will be there. He will be there. And as many people have experienced, sometimes that's the best thing that could possibly happen to them. But that's a consequence of their sin. God can use that. For discipline, but it's not necessarily discipline. Here's another one that is not necessarily the discipline of the Lord, the enemy. Now, the enemy has un- does not have unlimited power, but he is not to be taken lightly either. Um, Paul was talking about um, uh, the I think he was talking about the um, the sorcerer that wanted to um, that that uh, gave him trouble in one of the cities that he was in, and he said he did me great damage. There is loss. There is loss in this world. We will experience loss. And sometimes the devil takes advantage of things and he brings misery and suffering into our lives. And that's not necessarily the discipline of the Lord. Sometimes the Lord just wants you to stand up to him. Sometimes the Lord wants you to draw a line and say this far and no further and take authority that he's given you. And that's not necessarily the discipline of the Lord. And then the next one is obviously... Um, the suffering that we experience a lot of times is the flesh. The flesh is a constant, persistent challenge. It always has been, and it always will be. I remember praying one time for the Lord to deliver me from the flesh, and He just said, "I don't think you're ready for that." Because there's only one way to be delivered from the flesh, and that's when this mortal has put on immortality, and that's the big, you know, the big jump that we're all going to experience in some way or another, and that's the only way that we're going to be delivered. From the flesh. In the meantime, we have to discipline the flesh. We have to take authority over the flesh. We have to decide to say no to certain things in the flesh and not be ruled by it. Something that is under our control and it should be under our control and that we are responsible for. I heard a uh, podcast this past week, an interview with a guy who wrote a book on walking, and uh, this guy is very qualified to walk. Um, His name is um, Erling Keggy, and um, he walked uh, to the North Pole, and he walked to the South Pole, and he walked to Mount Everest. So he's hit the three three big ones uh, walking. And uh, it was kind of funny because he said, you know, the whole thing about walking is just put one foot in front of the other. It's just like, okay, that's what I would expect. But when you're talking about doing something epic like that, Something incredibly difficult and incredibly intimidating, it still breaks down to taking those single steps, taking those steps, knowing where you're going, being determined to do it, and, and, uh, and doing it with uh, endurance. <clears throat> he says, um, this, uh, this guy writes, are there ways that you build um, that, that variation into your life? And he says, You need to make your life more difficult than necessary. Throughout the day, you have to choose between the easiest option and the more difficult options. And usually, of course, you always choose the easiest option. In my experience, that's quite often a mistake. I look at my own life, and the happiest I've been is when I have chose the most difficult options. That's kind of the meaning of life, to feel your own potential. To do that, you have to get out of your comfort zone. Isn't that good? Isn't that, isn't that true? Uh, one of my kids uh, had a particularly um, unsuccessful semester at school, and uh, I was talking to him after the grades had come in, and I just asked him, I said, you know, what happened? You know, what, what happened? And he said, simply, he said this, he said, I took the easy way. That's what he did. Consistently throughout the semester, he took the easy way. Now, to his credit, he was doing something that he really wasn't cut out to do. When he found what he was cut out to do, he was on the dean's list. But the reason why he failed that semester, the reason why he did so bad, is because day after day after day, he took the easy way. And that's a prescription for failure in our lives, if we do that. And then finally, suffering in your life may be for a greater good. I've been reading the uh, the book of Job uh, lately, and surprised at how many different places I'm hearing reference um, to the book of Job. And uh, many people are puzzled by the book of Job, and there are some some really um, big questions in that. Um, but you have to understand from the very beginning that God loved Job, and God was not mad at Job. He was not doing any of these things. But when after all the talking is over, and after Job is you know, Job stays faithful to God. He does. He suffers, and he's ready to die, and he despairs, but he never blames God for it. But his friends all blame him. And then some of them, you know, they, they don't have very much help at all. And then Job, what Job has to say is not very much. And then, like, the second-to-last, the third-to-last um, passages in the book, um, God just calls a halt to all of it and just says, all right, enough talk. And he says to Job, he says, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? And then he goes into great detail about God's job and what God does. And he, what, he, what he tells Job is there are things going on that you cannot even comprehend. We got a little glimpse of it in the beginning of the book of Job in this kind con- of conversation, this dialogue between God and the devil. We got a little glimpse, and then Job's name comes up. And, and the devil, you know, says Job is only a good guy because he's blessed. And God's like, he, no, he's a good guy. He's, 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 there's nobody like him. And the devil says, well, if you take away all, the, all his gear, he'll, he'll curse you. You see, there's something bigger going on there. Job is caught up in this. And Job is suffering as a result of this. But look, the whole universe does not revolve around Job, and it doesn't revolve around you. And sometimes God has things going on that you will feel the pinch, and it's not about you. It's about something much, much bigger that's going on, much bigger, that God is aware of. He is involved in the intricate details of your life and in the giant scope of your life, the beginning of your life and the end of your life. But that don't mistake that to feel like the whole thing revolves around you. Or there must be you know, some reason why God is doing this to me that has something to do with me. It has may have something to do with something you would never even understand if He told you. Maybe that's the hardest thing to swallow. Sometimes we suffer because God thinks it's important. So what does this discipline look like? I ask you if you've been, ever experienced the discipline of the Lord, and I'm sure that everybody has a different version of it and different things that God does throughout his life. So I just want to talk about some of those things because we can experience the discipline of the Lord and mistake it for something. And one of the things that I'm talking about is sometimes we mistake it that God is mad. You know, when I was growing up, my mom was a strict disciplinarian, and um, she always said, you know, this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you, and I never believed that. And she would also say, I'm doing this for your good so that you'll grow up to be, and I didn't believe that all the time either. I was an annoying child, and I know that sometimes she disciplined me just because I was getting on her nerves. Maybe that's, that's legitimate. Maybe she's like, I don't want you getting on everybody's nerves, so I'm going to make sure you, do, you, know, you get punished for getting on, on my nerves. But God is different. God is, never wakes up in a bad mood. God is not stressed about something and taking it out on you. God is interested in refining you and growing you up. And God has something great in mind for you. Our problem is, is that we don't see ourselves. We don't see our potential the way that God sees our potential. And we also don't know the path to development like God does. He's so good at that. So what does it look like? Um, It looks like your life is basically what it looks like. That God is doing things in your life as a direct result of His, His desire for you and a direct result of your desire for Him. In worship this morning, what were we asking Him? What were we saying we wanted? We want more of Him, right? Am I right? We want to be for him to perfect us. Am I not? Is that not true? And you can count on the fact that he wants that too, because he has put those desires. The Bible says that he gives us the desires of our heart, and that's a double, double entendre. It, it means that he puts those desires in our heart. Otherwise, we would be wanting a bunch of stuff that doesn't pay off, doesn't, doesn't benefit us in any way. He puts those desires in our heart, and then he gives us those desires. He fulfills those desires. That's the way that it works. If I want to be more Christ-like, I've got to desire the things that Christ desires. And if I want to be more Christ-like, I have to receive the things that make me more Christ-like. And that involves, on many levels, hurt and challenge and and God's in it. It looks like your life. Have you ever prayed for um, patience? Oh, God, give me patience. Have you ever prayed that? So do you know how he does that? He puts you in situations that you are tempted to be impatient. Right? So you pray, oh, God, give me patience, and suddenly five more people come into your life who are as annoying as I'll get out. Right? And you're like, God, I thought I was going to get He's like, yeah, this is the way we do this right? Give me joy. He puts you in situations where you're tempted to despair, and you find joy in him, a joy that can't be taken away. Your challenges, your frustrations, and your ongoing uh, ongoing desire to grow and to serve are all the result of God's hand of discipline in your life. We talked about a few weeks ago, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about disciplining children, and that the point of discipline, the way that it's, it works is that a good parent is going to control a child until that child learns to control themselves, right? Because children are in great peril. They're in great danger. It's a dangerous world, but they are dangerous too. Like the world can do bad stuff to them, but they can do bad stuff as well. They don't know any better. They, they are born... Self-centered. The whole world revolves around them. So there's not going to be any, correct me if I'm wrong, if you have a one-year-old, there's not going to be any one-year-old that's going to think, oh, I don't want to cry and upset my mom. I don't want to wake up in the middle of the night. They don't think about any of that. They're just thinking about themselves. And discipline is learning to help them learn to control that themselves. You have to control them from the outside until they learn to control it from the inside. And the way you control them from the outside is unpleasant things that you do to them. Punishment, right? Um, Correction. um, Saying no to them. All of these things are what what good parents do, and all of these things are what God does um, to us, the good things that God does to us. We control them until they learn to control themselves it's it is necessary it is a necessary if unpleasant part of uh, life and it is essential for their growth and development you cannot understand your relationship with your heavenly father if you don't understand discipline now i know this is not one of the big selling points when we're trying to talk to somebody about giving their life to the lord But it should be an integral part of our introduction to Jesus Christ. Honesty about the way that we struggle. Honesty about the way that he's dealing with us. Otherwise, somebody comes to the Lord and they're looking at your perfect life and they're thinking, why is his life perfect and mine is not? Nobody's living a perfect life. Somebody the other day was saying, you know, they they basically had an easy life. I don't believe that. I don't believe that. They may be comparing their life to somebody else's catastrophe, But God is faithful to put on us everything that we... And listen, you'll hear people say sometimes, God will never put anything on you that you can't handle. That is a lie. Okay? Don't don't ever believe that. That's one of the most discouraging things because we are constantly faced with things that are too much for us to handle. That scripture that they're quoting is is 1 Corinthians 10, 13, I think. And it says... um, uh, there's no temptation that's overtaking you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful who won't allow you to be tempted by, beyond what you're able to bear. But with the temptation, will provide a way of escape so you'll be able to bear up under it. You see, he's an integral part of that whole thing. He knows he's putting stuff on you that is going to cause you to depend upon him. And your, your whole life is going to be that way. Your whole life is going to be that way. And it's a good thing. Because that's the only way that we grow in our relationship with God. So God's purpose in discipline is a redemptive. He uses discipline to correct us. And why does he need to correct us? Because we're wrong about stuff. Right? Who likes to be corrected? Right? You're telling a story and somebody butts in and says, no, you got that wrong. Right? No, that's not fun. Don't like that. You're describing something to somebody, and somebody says, oh, whoa, 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 wait a minute, that's not right. We don't like it. We don't like to be corrected. We like to think that we're right, even if we're not right. But see, God corrects us because we are wrong about so much. We say, we say you know, His ways are not our ways, and um, you know, it, it, that He's so different than us. But that is not to our, like, a, That that should keep us from getting too proud because our ways, the way we naturally think, the way we naturally act, our default is not right. And he wants to change that. He wants to change the way that we're thinking so that we're not thinking in terms of us being the center of the universe. He wants to change it so that he's the center of the universe. He wants to give us an identity. He wants us to know that we're his children. We're not illegitimate children. We're not on our own. And so that's why he disciplines us. He disciplines us to correct us. He disciplines us to perfect us. Now, don't be afraid of that because nobody is perfect, but everybody is being perfected. And God knows where we are. God knows what he's expecting of us. If you've got more than one kid in your house, if you've raised more than one child, you know that every child is different and the discipline for each child is different and one child... Um, is, you know, a a pain in the neck, and another one is a joy to behold, right? I mean, that's just the way that it is, and we discipline different for each one. But I'll tell you what, the ones that have the most potential are the ones that will receive the most loving and careful discipline. Because Because your Heavenly Father sees something in you that you may not see in yourself. And you may think, I'm weak, and he's like, you don't have any idea how strong you are. And he wants to show you, and he wants to prove it. See, the problem is, is that we think we've got a whole bunch of gold in our life. And he's like, you don't have that much, but you do have some. And the refining process is going to show you what, and what you have is real gold. The testing of your faith, which is more precious than gold. You think you're weak. He says you are mighty to the pulling down of strongholds, but he's got to shake us down before he can build us up. So he wants to perfect us. He wants to to prepare us. For what? What is he preparing us for? He's preparing us for eternity, which is mind-blowing. We have no idea what that means. But all I know is that a lot of what I'm experiencing now is going to have a bearing on the future. And I'm talking about the eternal future. A lot of what I'm going through now and a lot of who I am and a lot of what he's doing in my life now is eternal in nature. There's rewards for what's going on now. And those rewards are going to be eternal in nature. It's, it's a spiritual truth. So it's really important that I understand that he's preparing me for something and it may not even be on this side of the grave, but he probably is preparing you for something. If he calls you to something, mark my words, there will be a preparation process. Some people think that when they understand what God is calling them to, that that was the preparation. And that's not the preparation. That's the explanation of why it's going to get hard for a while. Right? Like all these rookies that just got drafted into the NFL, they're already working out. You know why? Because they got a huge learning curve. The difference between Pop Warner football and high school football is big. And the difference between high school football and college football is huge. And the difference between what they have experienced, and they've been on the top of the heap, and maybe they're a first round draft choice, but make no mistake about it, they got a lot of work to go to the next level and just getting to the next level is not the end if you want to win the Super Bowl if you want to go to the playoffs every day you gotta make a hard choice and listen I'm not saying that we're earning anything spiritually I'm saying that he's preparing us for something that is beyond us and we should aspire to that not because he'll love me more no but because he'll be more evident in my life and he'll get more glory in my life. And that what I will experience, I will think is mind-blowingly good. I'll be something that I wasn't before. Listen, I already am. I see my life before I met Jesus, before I put Jesus on the throne of my life. Jesus said, unless you hate your own life, you can't be my disciple. I hate that, old, I, I hate that life without Jesus. I mean, I, I hate living that way. I'm so, so glad that I don't have to live that way anymore. I'm so glad of who I am. I was not a good guy. And it's not blasphemy for me to say that I am a good guy. I'm a good guy now. I'm not perfect. I'm not perfect. But I'm, 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 I'm in Jesus Christ now. I'm a new creation. And that's all because of what he did and not because of what I did. And it's all because of his hand in my life and not because of what my life is when left to me. So he's preparing us. And finally, he disciplines us to reward us. That's our reward. He says, you're my son. The worst thing for an orphan is that nobody ever says anything to them. Nobody ever says anything wrong. They're they're drifting around in in delusion. And nobody cares enough to stop and say what you're doing is wrong. It's wrong to do that. See, many of the benefits that we have, we take for granted. But our schools are filled with kids that nobody says no to. Nobody takes them a, for, for an hour a week. Nobody sits down with them for an hour a week and just talks about life. I went to the, um, uh, Grace did the um, uh, little event uh, about for uh, Foster and Adopt two Sundays ago. And they actually had a, a, a guy who had been uh, fostered, gone through the whole foster system his whole life. And, uh, and he said, you know what I wish I had had? I wish I'd had somebody sit down and show me how to balance a checkbook. Now, who can't balance a checkbook? That guy can't. And for him, that's gold. That would be, a, that would be a, such a reward for somebody to take enough interest in him. How much more so your father that says, these are the things that my son is going to need. These are the things that my daughter is going to need to have a good life. And so he disciplines you, and that's a reward. That means you belong. That means you belong. That means that he cares enough to say no to you. And here's some of the ways that he does it. First of all, he says no. Again, if you've ever had a one-month-old or a six-month-old or a one-year-old, that's a word that you're very familiar with. Right? And if you're not familiar with it, then you are raising a little terror that's going to be a problem for everybody. Right? Am I I not right about that? And there are some parents that have to learn the hard way that it's not hurting your child to say no to your child. They, on the other hand, think they are being hurt. And they will cry, and they will whine, and they will try to convince you that what you're doing is not right. But you have to know. How does your Heavenly Father discipline you? He says no. He says no to your hopes. He says no to your dreams. He says no to your desires. He says no to us on on a lot of different fronts for a lot of different reasons. And to compound the problem, you will look at the person right next to you and he's saying, oh yeah, go, go for that, right? That compounds the whole problem. It's just like, what about this guy? Right? That's what Peter said about John. What about him? And Jesus said, whether he's still here when I come back, you know, at at the final judgment or not, don't worry about that. You follow me. Your discipline is tailor-made for you. I am preparing you for what I have called you to do, Peter. And he gave him a little insight into that, didn't he? He said, when you were young, you went everywhere you wanted to go. When you were old, they're going to take you and, to, and, uh, uh, and bind you and lead you where, where you would not go. Did Jesus hate Peter? Was that a punishment? No, Jesus loved Peter and was going to use him in a mighty, powerful, powerful way. And the only way that was going to happen is to tell him ahead of time, it's going to be hard and you've got to be tough. It's going to be hard, and you've got to be tough. And you're going to glorify God in a way that they're going to talk about in eternity. He takes away, is another way. Job said this about God when he, when he lost everything. Remember his profession? This is before he had become completely, you know, despondent about the whole thing. But what he was saying, he said about God, he says, um, the Lord giveth and the Lord, what? taketh away blessed be the name of the Lord and what I take away from that is that Job recognized that everything he had God had given him and if God decided to take it away from him then that was God's priority that was God's prerogative he could do that at any time and still be a good God and still, and Job would still worship him God gave it to me and I didn't deserve it and he took it away from me and that's his prerogative to be able to do that and God does take things away from us Now, he takes things away from us for a lot of different reasons. First of all, what Job is saying there, and what we need to get a good grip on, is that none of it is truly ours. None of it is truly ours. It's God's. And God lends it to us and gives it to us and gives us a stewardship over it. But that house, that car, that job, all of these things that you have, listen, I'm not telling you you have to live your life expecting that these disasters are going to come, right? Because most of the time that's not the way that God does it, but he can do it that way. He has done it in my life, and it has felt like hell. It has felt like it's the end of the world, and you know what? It wasn't. There was life on the other side, and there was faithfulness. God was faithful on the other side, and he gave me a peace after a while. To, to be able to look forward with confidence in what I had. And what I had thought, he took it away from me. And what I had thought I needed, turns out I didn't need it. Turns out I was depending on something that was unreliable. That's how he disciplines us. He takes it away sometimes. Here's one that I, I, I hate. I just have to say that. He uses other people. He uses other people to discipline me. Who do they think they are? God's agent. God's hand. Right? And, and, and I've explained to you a couple of times um, how somebody will speak truth into your life, and you're just like, I hate that person. I wish that person, you know, I can't stand the, the way that person, you know, treats me or acts about me. And God says, Joe, is it the truth? That's beside the point. They're not saying it in the right way. I could hear it if it was said in the right way. They're not being nice. They're not saying please. They're not being gentle, right? They're just boom. If it's the truth, it's the Lord. If it's the truth, it's the Lord. What he's looking for is do I embrace the truth when I know that it's the truth? And, or do I blame other people? Do I shift the blame and, and begin to point out what their faults are? Man, that is a big temptation, isn't it? But the fact is, is that God uses people to discipline us. He uses people that are in authority. He uses our peers. He uses our kids sometimes. Have you ever had your kids speak truth to you? But mom, you said... And he expects us to embrace it as coming from the Lord is what he does. He uses seasons of silence. It's not the silent treatment. It's not that passive-aggressive thing like, well, I'm mad at you, but so I'm just not going to say anything to you. That's not the way God works. And if you think he's working that way, there's something in your heart that causes you to project that on him because it's not the way that he is. But he does get... Frustratingly quiet sometimes. Right when you're saying, "I really need to hear from you." This is, so when a teacher gives a test, the teacher is silent. Right? He doesn't hand out the test and then give you all the answers. He wants you to come up with the answers. He wants you to to stop for a second and say, "Do I really know this stuff?" And so you're. Not going to hear from him at that point. He wants to hear from you. He wants to see how you act. He wants to see what you choose to do when you know what the right thing is. You don't need him to deliver you. You need to walk in what you know is the right thing to do. Even when he's silent. Sometimes he allows seasons of calamity. Sometimes it just seems like the whole world is falling down around you. Anybody ever been in a situation like that? So the dishwasher goes out, and then the oven goes out, and then the car breaks down, and then the garage door falls on your car. Right? Anybody ever had a situation like that? Seasons of calamity. And I've watched people go through much less than that and turn around and like, why, you know, why do you allow this stuff to happen to God? Which God's big enough to handle that. I'm not saying that that's wrong necessarily to do that. That just kind of shows you where you really are. But, you know, he's not going to like fry you because you're upset about it. But look, you're, you're, doing the, you're looking the wrong way at him. What he wants you to do is to look at him and say, God, thank you that you're here for me. Thank you that you're helping me face this stuff. There's bad stuff happening here, but I'm not going to add one and one and one and say that they always come in threes. Anybody ever heard, heard that one? They always come in threes? That's a lie. That's a superstition. They don't come in threes. They come in dozens. And what he's after is to get down to business with you. So the sooner he can get down to business with you, the sooner you can get on with the program. The sooner you can begin to actually walk in what he wants you to walk in. And listen, a dishwasher, car, garage door, all of these things are small potatoes to what he's doing on the inside of you. Small potatoes. And what he, the confidence that he's building in you, that he's on your side, and that you can endure and you can prosper in the midst of that. That's what he's trying. How else could he convince you of that, unless he brought you through it? And finally, he lets us fall. I talked. Uh, I think it was last week. I was talking about how I had forgotten how painful childhood was until I had kids, and then I realized that you know, like chickenpox is a scourge. It's a it's a horrible disease. And it's like, oh yeah, they got chickenpox. People have chickenpox parties. Like they'll bring their kid to get chickenpox. You know, to somebody else. I don't know if they still do that or not. Do they still do that? They don't do that. Okay. You should not do that. Okay? You should not do that. But, I like, when I was, uh, you know, I had forgotten how bad it was until my son had it, and he had a chicken pock on his eye. I didn't know you could get him on it. He was miserable. He was, it was horrible. It was a horrible disease. only lasted a few days, but it was a kid, you know, losing teeth. Like, that's painful. That hurts, you know? Learning to ride a bicycle. Listen, that's one of the first lessons that a kid learns. A Couple of lessons that kids learn. Going to the doctor and getting shots and being big enough to not cry when you got a shot. That was a rite of passage for me. And I was like, I think I was like four before I could actually control myself to the point, like I'm like, I am not, not gonna cry from this, and then learning how to ride a bike. Again, that happened about the time that I was four. You have got to get on that contraption knowing that you're gonna fall. That there's no way to learn how to balance that thing and make it work except to fall. Nobody learns how to ride a bicycle by riding a bicycle. They learn how to ride a bicycle by being brave enough to get on that thing, and they want the exhilaration of some form of locomotion you know, that goes way faster than you can walk, and you have to learn how to do that. And you have to know when you sit your behind on that seat and grab those handlebars and start to pedal that you don't know how to steer and you don't know how to stop it. You know? Because the best way to learn how to ride a bike is downhill, right? But it's the worst way too, (laughs) right? Because like when I learned, it was like the front yard, and then there was a brick wall at the bottom of the front yard. And I didn't notice the brick wall until I was full speed, headlong down the hill. And then about halfway down the hill, I started thinking, okay, you know, I don't know how to stop this thing. And the bike is like, I know how to stop. Boom. Just go flying over the handlebars. And then you get back up and you do it again. And that's life, man. If you jump off every time it gets wobbly, you're never going to get anywhere. But if you learn how to live this life in harmony with him, if you learn how to submit yourself to the sovereignty of God and to the hand of God and bear like a good soldier, bear hardship, you will find treasures in your life that you would never find any other way. That's true of your relationship with God, and it's true of your view of yourself, and it's true of your marriage, and it's true of the way you raise your kids. Pressing through the hard stuff yields gold. So how should we respond? And the key to how we should respond is found uh, in the scripture that we started off with. And it says, and have you forgotten... Uh, The exhortation that addresses you as sons. Son, don't regard lightly the discipline of the Lord and uh, nor be weary uh, when reproved by Him. Two things. Don't take it lightly. Take it seriously. The dealings of God in your life are vitally important to you. They're not a result of His inattention. They're not a result of His anger. They are a a direct proof of, that you belong somewhere, you belong, and He is forming you into something. Don't regard the dealings of the Lord lightly. I got a spanking one time, and uh, it was my dad who was spanking to me, and you would think that, like my mom would be the one that didn't spank very hard, and, and my dads no, my dad always pull, was always pulling his punches. And uh, I got spanked one time, and he walked out of the room, and I turned to my brother and I said, that didn't hurt." And he was listening. The next one hurt. <laughs> he made sure, right? That's, deal, that's regarding lightly the discipline of the Lord. That's, that's, that's saying, ah, that's no big deal. I can get through this, and I'm, you know, and I'm fine. Instead of saying, God, I thank you that you're teaching me something, and I want to submit myself to your authority, right? I don't want it to get worse. And then the second one is uh, to not be weary when reproved by him. What he's after, I think, in most of our lives is endurance. He wants something that'll last. He doesn't want something that's just a flash in the pan. And we don't know how to do stuff like that. We know how to dream big dreams. We don't know how to bring them about and that they're established and that they will last forever. The things that we build pass away. The things that he builds are well crafted. And a lot of times it takes a whole lot more preparation and a whole lot more work. You, could, you don't want to bail when, it gets, when you get impatient. You don't want to bail out on it. You don't want to quit on it just because it's not according to your timetable. Has God spoken some things to your heart? Has he? And has it taken a while for it to come about? In fact, do you get to the point where you look at it and you're like, that's never going to happen? That's what the scripture is addressing. You're not believing in yourself. You're believing in him. But believe in him. Keep believing in him. And keep bringing these things before him in prayer. Sometimes that's the process where it becomes, becomes ours. Let me just close with this, and you can come, David. What, what God really wants in mature sons and daughters is for you to stand on your own two feet. And understand what I'm saying about that. It doesn't mean that you're not depending on Him. It's that you've learned some things that has become part of your nature. You've learned how to conduct yourself in a way that has become part of your nature. I was talking to somebody the other day that's uh, in the ministry. And we were talking about how difficult sometimes things in ministry are. And one of the hardest things is that people treat you badly, but you can't treat them badly. And he was saying, I hate that when I feel that. I hate thinking or wanting to take it out on people. I want to act godly even when the pressure is on. And I think that is an uh, indication of a high calling that their desire, his desire, our desire is to do what's right, even in the face of adversity. Not like I'm straining against it to try to return evil for evil. It's that when I see that tendency in myself, I hate that. I don't want that. I don't want to be that way. And that's an indication that there's a high calling on your life to do that. There's every indication that God has good things in store for you, but he never guaranteed you that it was going to be easy. And he never guaranteed you that it wasn't going to hurt. Sometimes it hurts just like hell. It's like the worst thing that you can imagine. What you can know for sure is that he will be with you in it. And that he has good things in store for you. In the, let's stand together. Thank you, Lord. David's going to lead us in a chorus. If you need prayer, you come. I'll, I'll be glad to, to
2: pray for you. sing it together. And I say yes, Lord, I say yes, Lord, I say yes, my life is yours. say yes my life is yours when you call me I'll come running I'll say yes. Better is one day in your course. Better is one day in your house. Better is one day in your course. Thousands elsewhere. Thousands elsewhere.
1: Thank you, Lord. Lord, I thank you that you're so good at uh, the refining process. You never turn it up too hot. You never leave it too cool, Lord. Just right, Lord, to reveal our hearts, to reveal the gold that you have placed there in increasing amounts, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you test and you try every single thing we bring to you, Lord, so that we'll know the reality of it, Lord, and we won't be operating under a delusion. And I just pray today, Lord, for anybody who came in today discouraged. Lord, in Jesus' name, that if they hear one thing, that they would know that you are with them in this. You are with them. You promise you would never leave or forsake. In some ways, your hand has bring, brought these things about, and in other ways, Lord, you have prevented worse things from happening. You stand with them, and you have a way through, and that way is Jesus Christ. Thank you for that, Lord. Thank you for the confidence that, we give, give, that you give us in Jesus Christ. Send us forth, Lord, from this place. Lift up our hearts ablaze, Lord. Send us forth from this place, Lord Jesus, with ministry, with compassion, with power, with understanding. Send us forth from this place, Lord Jesus, to make a difference in this community, Lord. This broken world needs the sons and daughters of God to rise up, and to spread the good news and to invite more people into life. And we look forward to seeing you out there, and we look forward to gathering together again, Lord, with some awesome stories to tell of your goodness and your faithfulness and your power. We love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name.
0: You're listening to a sermon from Tyler Christian Fellowship in Tyler, Texas. Find us on the web at tcftyler.com or send us an email, tcftyler at gmail.com. You're listening to a sermon from Tyler Christian Fellowship in Tyler, Texas. Find us on the web at tcftyler.com or send us an email tcftyler at gmail.com. You're listening to a sermon from Tyler Christian Fellowship in Tyler, Texas. Find us on the web at tcftyler.com or send us an email. TCF at gmail.com.